0: Thank you for listening to the Play On Podcast. This is Nano Taggart, your host. Today we have the opportunity to have a conversation with Rick Peoples and Nell Geislinger. Rick is playing Sir Toby Belch in Twelfth Night and Aegean in The Comedy of Errors. He played Juror Number 10 in Twelve Angry Men, Hubert in King John, and Trinculo in The Tempest last season here at Utah Shakes. Rick has also been involved in television and film, with roles in films like The Hudsucker Proxy and Road to Perdition. Nell is playing Viola Cesario in Twelfth Night and Fanny Dashwood in Sense and Sensibility. This is her first time here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival after spending many years at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. She developed a relationship with Utah Shakes through her collaborations with artistic director David Ivers in Oregon Shakes productions of The Coconuts and Taming of the Shrew. Thank you so much, Rick and Nell, for joining us. I know you're busy. Is it a double show day for you, either of you today? Not for me today. No, I just
1: got one show, but I got understudy rehearsals. so it's Oh, a, cool. So you're busy. We're, we keep busy. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Uh, for our last episode, I had an amazing conversation with Grant Goodman and Quinn Matfield about uh, sort of this, the sacrifice of the actor or the performer or the artist. And there was this amazing takeaway that it really didn't seem like a sacrifice. I was taken by how much these people just love their jobs. So I was wondering if you could tell, talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into this, um, and when you knew you wanted to be a performer, when, when you sort of caught the bug, and if I don't know, there's any sort of advice you could give to people that are maybe on that precipice. I know your story now is a little bit different because you're performing is sort of in your family. It is. You know, so. Yeah,
2: I think I came out of the womb knowing I would probably be doing this. <laughs> so uh, that was from day one for me. Yeah. I don't know about Rick.
1: Yeah, I started uh, actually in, in, in a community theater in West Texas when I was 11 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, I auditioned and got the role and got bit by the bug and I've tried a lot of other things over the years, Yeah. hopefully trying to find something that I liked as well that paid a little better, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one of my longtime professors, actually a man who used to work here, uh, in the summers, Michael Finlayson mm-hmm. said to me that, uh, uh, given me advice one time, he said, You know, Rick, if you can, he had actually, he spoke rather like Alfred Hitchcock. He said, <laughs> Rick, if you can find anything else to do with your life that you enjoy as much as acting, do that. <laughs> <laughs> Quit if you can. But if you find yeah. that you can't be happy doing anything with theater, by all means do it, and yeah. at least you'll be happy. <laughs> and that's sort of where I've been with it. Very cool. Soon.
0: So I, I was going through sort of your catalog here at the Shakespeare Festival and uh, enumerating all the roles you've had and years you've come, and I ran out of fingers and toes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you can get Are me. you an amputee?
1: <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you been here now? Oh, this is my fifth season. It's your fifth season? Yeah, oh, so. and I've played, I guess, at least two, usually three roles. In every season. Seasons. Very cool. So, yeah, I've done I guess more than 10, but... Wow.
0: <laughs> Twelfth Night. Uh, Quinn, again, and Grant were both both had a lot to say about this play. And mm-hmm. you two are, your characters, Viola and Sir Toby Belch, are two of my favorite characters in the canon. Oh, cool. And I'm wondering if you could talk, a, you l- talk a little bit about what, what, it, what it's like playing these, maybe two of the most pivotal characters, certainly Viola, one of the you know most famous sort of gender-bending roles <laughs> in the canon.
2: Well, it's exciting. I've never played one of these pants cool. roles before, so I've always wanted to. Yeah, and I feel very lucky to be doing it with David because cool. he and I have a good, good working relationship that started back at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in his *Taming of the Shrew*. There. Oh, cool! Awesome. Uh, and then I worked as uh, the associate director on a play he directed uh, there called Coconuts earlier this year so we yeah. have we have a history now we're building a history together and it was it was exciting I've never done this before I was anxious to do it to play one of these roles uh, you know a character like this has such a strange big arc yeah. and it's a lot so, yeah, it was a lot. you know, this I'm, is
0: the fulcrum of the whole show, as a file, it really is. So. Well,
2: in some ways, I mean, David always said, well, I can't remember his exact words, but he said she's she's the character that keeps kicking everybody into motion. Mm-hmm. So, she's the engine that's the word he used. She's the engine of the play. So, some days when I'm a little tired or I haven't had my second cup of tea, <laughs> <laughs> I have to really muster that up, and I'm still learning how to do it, and I yeah. will continue to learn this whole this whole. Performance yeah. schedule, so we'll see. The, the repertory,
0: because this is your first time here, right? It is. That's I'm
2: I'm familiar with repertory, though. You are. Um, So I that that muscle is active in me, but gotcha. I've, yeah. Is a little more.
0: Is it a little more challenging to play a character like Viola, where you're essentially you've got two or three roles kind of wrapped into one?
2: Yeah, but it's awfully exciting, too. I mean, it's really fun. I mean, and David kept talking about the freedom that that mask of her disguise gives Uh her. And the more I really invest in that, the more I find there's so much joy in that for her. She doesn't become her true self until she gets to put that mask on and say everything that she maybe can't say when she's a woman. That's true. So it's it's joyous and uh, full of life and really fun.
0: How much, what's preparation like for either of you? You can both sort of chime in. Uh, I I know there's, uh, in speaking to other performers uh, here, there's kind of a big onus and almost a responsibility, I get the sense of, of playing a Shakespeare character or an Austin character, you know, for that matter. And how do you, how much research do you do as a performer? Or, uh, you know, how, what's your relationship like with the character before you step on stage? Uh,
1: Well, in my case, um... I, I, I read the play course, and I, I yeah. uh, this is not my first time doing Twelfth Night. I've actually been involved in several productions. This is my second time playing Toby. Yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with the play. Uh, we have a lot of help. We have great dramaturgs that work work with the cast and provide all sorts of resources. And you know, we have text coaches that mm-hmm. uh, the, that we have sessions with, and vo- vocal coaches, and we have so much support here. It's really great. Cool. From that standpoint, you know, research sort of, figuring out the context of the play and and what the characters mean. I'm having such a blast playing playing Toby because even though I played it before it was a rather troubled production (laughs) 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 and I was so consumed with trying to meet the challenges of the troubles in that production that I never really kind of got to address Toby in the way I had Uh really wanted to. Yeah. And this time I did. I, I got to solve some sort of nagging questions that I've had about him over the years. It was, uh, it was over ten years ago that I played him. Yeah. And um, I, I just had a blast working on it. Uh, That's cool. With David. So much fun. Toby's got a romantic relationship in this in this play that often gets glossed over. Really, with Mariah. With, okay, yeah, that's true. And uh, it, it always—it's always struck me when I, and I've seen the show a number of times that when you get to the end of the show and Fabian's doing the speech, uh, you know, where he's sort of apologizing for mm-hmm. for all of the things that have been done to Malvolio, and he says, it's just." Toby uh, did it, uh, it was Toby's idea, and Mariah wrote the letter, in recompense whereof he has married her. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you don't see that happen, and every time, in every production I've ever seen, you, you always go, huh? Yeah.
0: He married, yeah. it's always a
1: big surprise that, that Toby marries her. And we, Both Mary Ann, who plays Mariah, uh-huh. and I, and David, wanted to make sure that that, that track got laid into the show, it's so that you could see that relationship building yeah. through the show. And... Uh, and I think we have, we've sort of got. I think you're doing a We're, we're it. getting it there, and I've never seen that before. That's that's a new thing for me. Very cool show, So,
0: what's yeah. a, is it the same for you uh, in terms of preparation, now?
2: Uh, preparation Did for me, read I read the
0: play and show up and use the resources mm-hmm. that are kind of provided, or, or is there?
2: Most certainly, I learned a technique from my friend Dr. Louis Douthat, um, who's in uh, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to chart a play which is an exercise she does before she approaches any Shakespeare play or even a uh, contemporary play. Mm-hmm. And she breaks the play down into just what's there on the page. So for example, uh, word choice, like in Twelfth in Night I might yeah. choose to chart, because uh, the first line of the play is, music. if music be the food of love, play on. I might chart where music comes into the play, references to food or uh, appetite, oh, cool. love, and play. Uh, And so I take those words and those themes and and go through every single scene and chart where they appear and uh, I I chart a lot of other elements besides that. Uh, I ended up finding out that Viola asks more questions in this play than I could ever have imagined. Uh, she That's comes. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things you don't notice until you really sit down and you start taking a tally of how many times these things show up. Uh-huh. And she really is in this new land, and all she has to go on is her, her wit and her ability to look people in the eye and say, What's going on? Tell me. Yeah. And she's so forthcoming and honest that they answer her and she finds a path. Both
1: That's our characters actually taught a lot. There's, yeah. a, there's a wonderful place where you can. To go to figure out the line counts uh-huh. uh, for each of the characters in play, and to, I thought Toby had the most lines, but she actually has about seven more lines than I do. So we're the, we're the most voluble in characters the in the whole in the play. Whole, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, oh, yeah. and cool. so yeah. yeah, she talks a lot. So does Toby. But you don't really get that impression when you see it. I don't think. No, but, no, they're not overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know
0: that. This, that charting a play that's fascinating. I've never. As someone sitting in the audience, that's something that would never dawn on me. But it makes sense sense to <clears throat> go through and think about things as subjects and as context. and word, word yeah. It's not an accident, you know, no, when, when Shakespeare with repetition.
2: And so many times, because these plays have been done over and over and over again, people mm-hmm. are anxious to come in and put their new spin, their concept on it. Yeah. And this is a way to return to just what's on the page. When yeah. you actually look at what's really there on the page, mm-hmm. it's astonishing because things come to you that you just, you know, when you're looking at it through your own lens, your own modern yeah. lens, you don't realize, oh, I miss that she says that word like eight times in this scene.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and that there's a small scene with Festy that I have where I come in and I'm, it's the only scene we have together. He calls me sir like 16 times in that scene. <laughs> I, I, I I don't know that it's exactly 16, but it's in the teens. Yeah. and And that made me go, oh my God, he's seeing through her disguise and he's prodding her with oh, that wow. word. And I was like, wow, you know, just just looking at simple things like that. So.
0: That's incredible. There's something kind of inherently, I don't want to say literary, but scholarly then about, about approaching this. I mean, you really do want to, I don't want to say get behind the intent, you know, of the playwright, but in a way it sounds like you kind of do and you're looking for clues.
1: You do. And and I found uh, one with Toby that I had never found before with the help of uh, Don Weingust, who was our, a mm-hmm. Dramaturg on this yeah. show, there's Toby's last line as he's limping off the stage is he's talking to to Sir Andrew next to him. He says, "Will you help a, an asshead and a coxcomb and a knave?" Uh-huh. You know, and and in all the editions and all the shows I've seen before, that's written that "Will you help?" question mark an asshead, a coxcomb, and a knave, as though Sir Andrew is the asshead and the coxcomb oh, wow. and the knave. And Don came up to me after one rehearsal and he said, "You know." In the first folio, in the original uh, printed edition of this play, mm-hmm. there's no punctuation there. It's, will you help an asshead, a cockcomb, and an aide? Meaning, He's talking about talking himself. About yeah. yeah, he's talking about Toby Bell. It changes the entire tenor of Toby's last moment on stage Yeah, in a way that I'd never seen before and would have never gotten there if we hadn't gone back to the, to the folio text. Sorry, I'm typing over. <laughs> no, 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 fine, fine. We'd have never gotten there if we hadn't gone back to the original text, and uh, so that's what happens when a play's 400 years old and there's so many additions mm-hmm. and so many changes. Things come to be accepted yeah. about the play that actually aren't true at all. Yeah, you know, and you don't find that unless mm-hmm. you go back to it. Yeah, that's, uh, I've been overwhelmed
0: the by the spirit of collaboration that you kind of just talked about with with the dramaturg for the play mm-hmm. and talking to David and Brian, the artistic directors here. That, that's that was the overwhelming sense I got is this isn't necessarily a director that steps into a room and has a grand vision and you know picks up a megaphone and tells people where to be and when to be there but especially with a text that's hundreds of years old like you say there is collaboration that absolutely has to happen because there's so many decisions that a performer has to make yeah.
1: And part of that is uh, it's a, it's a wonderful way to work, but part of it is expediency because we don't have a lot of time here. Yeah. If, uh, you know, you need everybody working together on the same page to get these shows up in time. In the amount of time, you need all the good ideas in the room that you can, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. you can process because it, it just helps you come to solutions much more quickly and and better solutions.
0: Yeah, Phil
2: Thompson, who was our uh, voice and text. Director yeah, I mean, yeah. for this play was amazing. He he met with me extra for extra sessions, and we went through the play line by line. And he's just I just wanted to mention his name out yes. there with Don because he was a huge huge
0: help. That's oh, very cool. That's yeah. great yeah. to hear these names that people otherwise probably don't hear unless they're no. reading the fine print. Yeah. So yeah, we appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a whole team really uh, of people that uh, have got our backs. You know, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. could not do it without them. Aegeon,
0: real quick, you're the only performer at the table in Comedy of Errors. Mm-hmm. What's it like playing in Shakespeare the Western? <laughs> and, and talking to Brad Carroll about this, it, I really wasn't aware of the idea until until we sat down and, and, and have a ch- had a chat. But it, seems, it seemed so out of context initially. But the more I thought about it and the more I talked with Brad, it almost seemed organic.
1: Yeah, I it actually I've never seen it done this, uh, you know, in that sort uh-huh. of setting before. Although I think I've seen it done just about every other way. Uh-huh. It's, uh, Comedy of Errors is is one of those plays that almost begs to be taken and messed with because it's really just kind of a very Spartan.
0: Brad said the same thing. Kind of skeletal a s- play. Yeah, it's people want to. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's not dressed a lot, and so you you yeah. have this desire to
0: <laughs> tinker to
1: tinker with it, you know, and stuff. Um, and so I've seen I've seen outer space versions of it. I've seen I, I've, I've seen uh, you know science fiction. I've seen uh, a Hollywood version, like an Abbott and Costello thirties Hollywood version that worked great. Yeah. Never seen a Western version. I don't know why. Because as soon as you mentioned it, and we thought about it for a second, I thought absolutely. It, because it, especially if you've seen like a series on TV, like Deadwood.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, where the the language is so heightened, mm-hmm. and that's apparently authentic. I mean, that's yeah. apparently the way people talk. Rugged, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, there are no contractions. People, I do not, I do not wish to speak with you that way, sir. You know, what I mean, they, uh-huh. they have this way of, of talking that that lends itself to this sort of heightened Shakespearean language, yeah, and and it just fits <laughs> beautifully. That's cool. You know, yeah. yeah I've I've had a blast uh, playing and I actually came up with a germ of the idea for that role when I was in the last. Production of comedy that we did back in two thousand nine here. Oh wow! And uh, I played the executioner at that time, and I stood on stage. Oh, wow! Uh-huh. While the guy playing a G and Robert Ramirez did that speech every day, so I listened to that speech, the the long, long speech that he does, a lot of times. And <laughs> I, and I was I would stand there thinking mm-hmm. to myself because I didn't have anything to say in the scene. I just had to stand yeah. there. And I thought, how could you make that speech? funny, because yeah. it has to be clear, it's pure exposition, uh, but I was, I, and so that was what occupied my mind, this is the, these are terrible secrets that you learn about. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. supposed to actually be in the world of the play, but that's actually true. I'm thinking, what could I do with that speech if I had to play that role? And I actually came yeah. up with the idea of doing it with a, a sibilant S, uh, with a, 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 a song, yeah, yeah. S, S's sort of, sort of <laughs> like that back then, and then I went, no, I'll never do that. And then here I end up playing that role like five years later. <laughs> and they, they,
0: they, you incorporated Sybil S. Yes, I just yes. sort of pulled that little <laughs> trick, trick out of my out bag. The bag. Very yeah. cool. Uh, now I have to ask about Fanny. And yes, please. Is, is Fanny just an antagonist or is that an oversimplification? Is it, can people in the audience get a sense for, for what her motivations are and maybe understand her a little bit?
2: Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah? I mean, she's just one of those people who her, her lens is very tiny. Mm-hmm. And in her mind, she's doing everything she needs to do to take care of her family, yeah. and they deserve it, and her son deserves it, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, sh- she comes from a moneyed background, and uh, I think because the Dashwood sisters are so very beautiful and young and sweet, mm-hmm. there's a part of her that is jealous. <laughs> yeah. So while she has practical reasons for doing all the nasty things she does, there's also uh-huh. a little maybe part of her that she doesn't always consciously acknowledge that's kind of delighted by getting to shove their faces in the mud. <laughs> um, yeah, and she just, you know, she knows what, what's right for everybody to do. I mean, she's very opinionated and, mm-hmm. you know.
0: <laughs> does she does she just like control too, maybe a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I
2: think definitely that. She gets off on that big time yeah, in every way.
0: Like one, one cool yeah. element of repertory, it seems like, in talking to performers in this series, is you get a chance a lot of times to play you know, multiple roles, which obviously is a challenge And some of those challenges you brought up. But there's also an opportunity because you get to be really contrasting people. Like Fanny and Viola are, man, what different characters, and what canonized characters. And that's got to be kind of cool and refreshing to, to get to be such a different person.
1: Oh, man, it's amazing. I uh, uh, Something a lot of folks don't realize is that we often don't get to see each other's shows. We, we, we know, we're yeah. familiar with the shows that we're working on, the two or three shows we're working on, but there's six shows here. Yeah. So those other shows we often don't know anything about until after they open. Then we get a chance to go and see everybody else's show. Well, I got to see N- Nell in Sense of Sensibility uh, right after it opened, and I had a program dive. I didn't recognize her when she, I, I had, <laughs> she came home. That first <laughs> day. Who is that? And I had to like, oh, <laughs> see, it was just, that's a cool compliment. It's an amazing nice transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's terrific. <laughs> System, but yeah, you, it it's great the sort of um, stretch you get to do here. Yeah, I've always loved that about rep theater. Uh, it sort of makes you keeps you whole in a way to to have that sort of range of roles. The worst thing that can happen actually is if you get cast in two or Three roles that are similar. Really similar. That's yeah. the hardest thing in the world to do is try and differentiate between several similar characters.
0: Probably harder to maintain energy, too, right? When you feel like they sort of bleed into each other out Yeah, imagine.
1: it's a lot of work. It's not as much do, fun. <laughs> yeah, nobody
0: wants to do the same exact thing every day. <laughs> you know, like a little variety. That makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Cool. Now, was there ever a moment in your upbringing of uh, being from sort of a performing family? Um, where you thought maybe I should just run away from this, <laughs> I, I did a little. I did a little research, and, and it seemed like you probably spent time as a child on on the sets of films and television series and stuff like that. And uh, you say you sort of were born knowing this. This is what you would do. But was there ever moments where you were like, man, a, a simpler life? Might be better. The
2: only time I think I was about five or six, I thought about being an archaeologist for maybe a year, and that was about it. And then I did, I um, when I was 17, there were about three months where I put the acting aside and I was studying modern dance mm-hmm. and music theory and Spanish literature. Oh, cool, and I thought. I'm never going back to the theater again and then I, I got the I talked to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and got an internship there and then I was right right back. Right back, so, um, hooked. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. And you, you mentioned working with David Ivers a, a couple of times in Coconuts and Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Is it, is his approach to directing similar? Uh, no, no matter what the show is, no matter if it's Shakespeare or something more contemporary? or Is, it, is there in a sense of adaptation from a director you know, maybe not necessarily David specifically the same way you have to adapt as a performer does that make sense?
2: It does make sense but at his uh, at his core David always approaches the material with um, an equal amount of uh, sincerity and belief in it and reverence uh, almost. and reverence yeah. and he David is because because he's been an actor I think he recognizes the importance of casting. Mm-hmm. Re- you know, really putting a lot of attention on the casting. Yeah. And getting people that he feels a connection with, that he speaks the same language with. Mm-hmm. And so once he gets into the room, uh, at least the only contemporary play I've worked on with him was Coconuts. Coconuts, yeah. But he was, he was equally interested in bringing the text up in that little light Marx Brothers musical as he was in Twelfth Night. So,
1: cool. Yeah, he, um, uh, his approach to every... Show that I've done with him has been unique, but there's certain words uh, and, and, and ideas that tend to recur with yeah. him. Uh, he's always interested in, uh, he always talks about the muscularity of the text. Doesn't matter. First time I heard him use that was in the first show I did with him as mm-hmm. a director, it was Romeo and Juliet here mm-hmm. three or four years ago. And uh, he, he was, he's always interested in, in how the story just sort of how you can get it to leap off the stage and, okay. and really engage people. No matter what it is, whether it's Shakespeare or Twelve Angry Men or, yeah. you know, he's always trying to find that way into the text and into the story that will just pop it open for yeah. people.
0: There's a sense that then uh, one of the major responsibilities for someone in that position as a director, really just want to put people in a position to succeed. Yeah. Right? Have you and had experiences he, that were the opposite, where maybe a director... I'm not asking you to name names, but I would imagine it it makes a difference when when you don't feel like you've been given all the tools you need to succeed as a performer.
2: Yeah, you know, but this applies to Fanny Dashwood too. Nobody tries to be a jerk, including directors.
0: Oh yeah. So you
2: know, when something like that happens, it it comes out of uh, fear or being confused or anxious about getting the production up there mm-hmm. and I think uh, I can't imagine that anybody would come into a rehearsal room and not wanna try and hand you all those tools because yeah. their, their names on the line too they yeah. want you, to, the people, we want these plays to succeed Absolutely, yeah. every yeah. single one of them
1: mm-hmm. so it's true I, I mean I, I guess what happened like I mentioned the production of uh, Twelfth Night that I did years and years ago mm-hmm. that was troubled and, and one of the troubles with that director Uh, came from a a clowning background, and he actually didn't think Twelfth Night was funny. He didn't Um, think that the story was funny. What? No, I mean, he really (laughs) didn't didn't see the humor in the gulling scene in Malvolio's letter. And so his solution to that, since he didn't find the text funny, Uh was to have all sorts of physical clowning humor going on with Toby and Mariah and It drove me nearly crazy. <laughs> it drove all of us crazy. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, but sometimes you encounter that word. right. It wasn't. He was trying to make a good show too, in uh-huh. the only way he knew how. But he just, <laughs> he just yeah. didn't understand the play. I'll be you sure. know, but. everyone
0: I've talked to about this play is enamored with the language, and of oh, all yeah. of all the comedies, it's one of the most eloquent and poetic. Mm-hmm. And you can really just study the words, like you talked about mapping.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, the play based on languages and subjects. And Twelfth Night almost. As much as any play jumps out that way with the repetition, some of the things you've mentioned just since we've been sitting here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think yeah.
1: in many ways it's as as complex and deep uh, as a comedy as as Hamlet is as a tragedy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so multifaceted and so uh, b- broad and deep. You know, it's an, yeah. an enormous story, really. That's the thing that strikes me every time I've done it. Is is People don't realize how much energy it takes to do that show. Yeah, it a it's lot. huge. It's just a huge show to fill, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Did you have something, now? You kind of... Well,
2: I, I, I was talking to Aaron galligan Sturl, who plays Festy, yeah. the other day, and I, I, the conversation sort of solidified something that I had been thinking about since beginning to study this play, which is that mm-hmm. Festy, to me, always left off the page in a way that was so similar to the fool in King Lear. Mm-hmm. I mean oh, wow. the yeah. way he if you go back and just just look at it or even just listen to the way Aaron delivers it mm-hmm. he's a he's a truth teller that was the phrase Aaron used and he's there he has some zingers he has some really funny things to say yeah. just like the fool in King Lear but there's a lot of gravitas and sadness and strangeness in there too and he's the only one that can look Olivia in the eye and say you are being a jerk right now, you yeah. know? Or he, and he can look at Cesario and say, uh, I don't buy any of this, or you know, uh-huh. whatever it is, and then turn around and, have and he some gets him. away with it. And he gets away with it, and yeah. he's funny at times. That's true. Um, and that, Festy has, Festy snakes through the play and touches every one of the characters, Yeah, which uh, is interesting. And he only has about one scene with them. If you go back mm-hmm. and look at the play, he uh, it's some some characters he's with a lot more than others like yeah. the, the trio um, over here but um, that that energy is one of the things that makes it uh, more than a comedy yeah more than just a broad funny silly comedy mm-hmm. he he is a huge part of that I think
0: kind of a thread that's pulling yeah all I, I really think so does you both kind of talked a little bit about the complexity of this boy and how much is in it in terms of characters and story etc um, is that complexity. Uh, does that make the play harder to absorb for people that maybe aren't as versed in Shakespeare? Or do you think this is also an accessible play? I've kind of heard both about Twelfth Night, honestly. I think it
1: can. I mean, I, it, if the story's not well told, it can be a very difficult play for audiences, I think. That said, uh, it's one of the most beloved of the canon. You know? yeah. I mean, it's, it's often done, although maybe not as often as, like, Midsummer Night's Dream, or, yeah, much to about, or, or yeah. about nothing, or much to do about nothing. It's not so broadly a comedy mm-hmm. that, as those shows are, but um, yeah, I, it, well, personally speaking, it's my favorite. It's the It and As You Like It are right up there, okay, uh, as my favorite Shakespeare rom-coms, if you will, yeah. <laughs> romantic comedies.
2: <laughs> well, I think like any Shakespeare play, it just depends on what you come into it with, uh-huh. and different people have different experiences with Shakespeare uh-huh. in their lives yeah. if, if you come in expecting to see the world on a stage reflected in front of you I think you'll have a good experience and if mm-hmm. you come in thinking I'm not going to understand any of that dialogue and this is supposed to be funny why isn't every scene hilarious yeah you know, yeah yeah then then you know it just depends on how you come into it yeah
0: so. oh that's brilliant one of <clears throat> one of my favorite contemporary writers Kate Greenstreet who's a poet, and some of her stuff's kind of out there and abstract. I had a conversation with her about this, about the accessibility of her work. And she said, you know what? I just tell people to relax. Just relax and and let it kind of soak over you and and experience it. And Mm -hmm. is there any other advice? I've talked to so many people that want to love Shakespeare, but they feel so much anxiety. They feel like they're so removed from this language. You know, they're so removed from this period that it it just seems like an undertaking to even try to understand it. What, what advice might you give to an audience member that maybe is cool with going to, you know, an Austin adaptation or a more contemporary play, but has that hang up about Shakespeare?
1: Well, I'd, I'd say to people, give it, come and give it 15 minutes. Just mm-hmm. let your ears sort of adjust to the language for 10 of, the first 10 or 15 minutes yeah. of the play. Uh, I, I, it's our job. It's Nell's and mine's and everybody else's. We, we train our whole lives to, to help bridge the gap to, yeah. to bring this language to this century, you know, mm-hmm. to, to modern audiences, and it takes a lot of work to do that, but I, if audiences just meet us halfway, I think I think it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so everything's gonna be okay. No, just, I think it'll be fine. Uh, yeah,
1: You know, I think it's very accessible. I think the show, Twelfth uh, Night, is wonderfully accessible. I think Comedy of Errors
0: is really absolutely. easy
1: to to sort of dive into, mm-hmm. you know, takes a minute, takes a minute for your ear to adjust. Yeah. But it will, yeah. if you let it.
0: Any other advice, no, other than maybe just not coming into it with so much apprehension? Maybe what about for someone that is coming into it with so much apprehension? Well, what might you say to somebody like that?
2: Well, I, I would echo what you said. Just sit down and let it wash over you. Yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not talking about any human emotions or themes yeah. or... Ideas that we haven't known about for years and years, and Mm -hmm. and they're all exactly the same today. We fall in love the same way, we die the same way, we have children the same way, we get confused in the same way, Mm -hmm. and actually, we find the exact same things funny. We find poo poo fart jokes funny, (laughs) we we find romance exciting, and you know, it's we're the same people today
1: you're just cool. not as good at talking about it as he is that's are it's just better at expressing it yeah right? and you
0: don't have to know what an I am or trochee is no. to, to feel the yeah. language pulsing right you can yeah. you can just sort of get a sense of, of the rhythm
1: yeah as it were those all of those classical trochees in the iambic pentameter that's all based on the way people talk mm-hmm. it's a formalization of the way people speak naturally yeah and and uh, if you do it right uh, it it should sound natural yeah it should sound like heightened everyday speech
0: thank you both so much every thank time you. i sit down with people in this series i learn so much and today is no exception. So thank you so much thanks, thanks you. for having me awesome
2: fun.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to the play on podcast so many unique and talented people come together to make this celebration of shakespeare and theater happen it's our goal to give you a glimpse of just how much amazing work goes into making founder fred adams vision a reality We'll be visiting with more actors from the 2014 season in the coming weeks. Tune in next Wednesday. Thank you.